listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. Hey everyone, um, today's podcast is going to be a discussion about cybersecurity. It might be a little bit of a discussion around social networking, maybe a discussion around teaching. So if you are in uh, pharma and the life sciences, you care about cybersecurity, you care about how your information is being uh, stored and saved, you care about how people who are probably going to be affecting and impacting the life sciences in the, in the coming years uh, are being taught about these issues, Today's conversation is going to be really, really interesting. Our guest today is, um, is is someone who's actually been on here before. He is a lecturer at Yale Law School. He is the chief, uh, chief security officer at Panquake, and I love the I love the pun behind it. But uh, our guest for today is uh, Sean O'Brien, and I'm excited to have him. Uh, so I, bef- before we um, we continue, I do want to say this is the Darshan Talks live stream, and I'm your host, Darshan Kulkarni. Uh, I'm an attorney. I'm a pharmacist, and I advise companies with FDA-regulated products. Uh, I am an attorney, but I'm not your attorney. I'm a pharmacist. I'm not your pharmacist. My guest is a security advisor, but is not your security advisor. So this is not legal advice, not clinical advice, not security advice. These are just considerations, and they don't reflect the opinions. The host, the guest, our employers, our our clients, or anything like that. If you like what you hear, please like, leave a comment, please subscribe, please share. Um, And again, please feel free to ask our guest questions. You can always reach out to me on Twitter at Darshan Talks, or just go to our website at darshantalks.com. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a few months since we've had you, Sean. So how have you been? Great. Yeah. Always working, always working on something interesting, thankfully. So that, that seems to be the burden you bear, the, the working on something interesting. So let's start with the, the one interesting thing out of the many, many interesting things you're working on. The first one being the fact that you are, um, you're teaching at Yale. So first of all, how did you even get involved? Sure. Um, so I've been involved at, at Yale as a fellow since uh, 2013. Um, and basically, um, I founded something there called Privacy Lab. I'm not sure if we talked about that last time. Probably not. Sure. Tell us more, yeah. <laughs> but uh, basically, we do hands-on tech implementation where we show people how to be a little more private, a little more secure, potentially anonymous, right? Um, we do digital self-defense workshops, what used to be called crypto parties. Um, and so anyway, uh, I've I been doing that kind of work for a long time um, for Yale and, and the surrounding community in New Haven, Connecticut. And um, basically, you know, there's a interest in cybersecurity, who to thunk. Um, <laughs> and uh, one of the faculty members at Yale, uh, Scott Shapiro, in 2018, um, sort of tapped me and said, hey, um, I want to teach cybersecurity. I want to do serious hands-on stuff. Um, do you want to co-teach with me? So um, we put together a class. Um, we did it for two semesters. Um very fun stuff. I can go more into it. Um, This time around, it's going to be a little different. You know, you learn over time, thankfully. Um, And also the landscape, as I'm sure you know, and all your listeners know, um, it it changes pretty quickly. So So that's interesting. You you talk about real hands-on practice. And and that's, 
rare because most people really talk about the basics, the principles, the strategies, but you're really getting people's hands dirty and going, this is what reality looks like. Uh, who's the audience? I mean, obviously they're Yale students, but are these uh, practicing uh, professionals or are these people who are still students or where does this come from? Yeah, so this is Yale Law School, so you have a bit of a mix. Um, you have folks who have never walked into a courtroom or had any real legal work. You have uh, working professionals who have done another career and have decided to do law school um, in some cases, um, which is great. Um, and you have folks who may have some sort of legal background or did some sort of paralegal work or something like that. Um, but generally speaking, these are the best and brightest, right? These are folks who are going to go on and do wonderful things, be in really important places. And um, we find that the hands-on part is really important for um, breaking down some of the abstraction layers that tend to be a barrier to learning about technology. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, even something as simple as knowing that a smartphone is really a computer, right? Um, we started out in the, in the first class uh, using Raspberry Pis, which are those little mini motherboards, right? Little mini computers. And, um, you know, people were shocked, right? Um, to be fair, you know, many of them are from a generation that has never seen computers linked together using Ethernet cables, you know, et cetera. So doing that sort of thing in the classroom was really um, enlightening and I think really helped um, hammer home some of the, you know, when you talk about networks, right, we're talking about networks that they can see and feel and, you know, uh, so on, rather than just thinking about them in an abstract way. So, so is, is there actual coding that happens or is it more um, yeah, so network level? We're not doing coding per se, uh, but we do walk folks through uh, penetration testing. So we use Kali Linux um, and we go through, you know, how to crack uh, crappy passwords, basically, um, how to do basic encryption, um, how to run some fun um, fun little hacks, basically. Um, and those are also very enlightening for folks to understand um, security, right? Why is it such a big deal to have a strong password instead of a weak one, right? Um, why is it such a big deal to you know, lock down your machine and patch it often and so on and so forth? Um, you know, why is it a big deal to make sure that if your company has a web server, right, running a website, that you do things like sanitize the inputs so that you don't have to worry about SQL injection? And, well, you have to worry about it. That's the point, right? <laughs> so anyway, um, those kinds of things are, are really fun. And, um, you know, I was actually, Scott, who, who I'm teaching with, um, is very ambitious. And actually in the beginning, I was like, well, we'll just do a little bit of this. And he really, in that first class, that first semester we did it, he pushed everyone really hard, which is great. Um, we had a lot of fun and I was surprised, pleasantly surprised by the outcome. Um, we do a final project where the students um, put together a hack of their own. And we're not like doing anything illegal or breaking into you know systems or anything. But for example, um, you could figure out how to, um, you know, turn on a microphone on someone else's computer um, who's in the same room as you because they wow. have some kind of vulnerability in their operating system and they're running on the same network, right? <laughs> Something like that. Um, but this is the kind of thing people should know exists and can be done and so on. But anyway, um, yeah, these the, and, and the students came up with all kinds of interesting things, stuff we didn't even think up to think of. Um, so it really was was quite surprising. And um, since then, we've just been building on it. It's, it's really fun and um, really refreshing. And every time we do it, it's a little different, which is great. 
So, so you talk about the importance of cybersecurity. You talk about the 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 changing modalities that you constantly every every time you find a way, new way to block something, someone comes up with a new way to hack that. So it's that constant cat and mouse game. But as part of that process, um, you you start getting into more of a um, you're getting into social networking. And you're talking about the value of decentralization. So, could you talk a little bit more about um, about what you're doing in social networking and um, how that fits into blockchain and how that fits into security? Sure, absolutely. So, um, I'm involved with a project called Panquake.com. Um, I'm the chief security officer. Um, I had been advising the project um, for months before that on privacy and security and so on. Um, it is a uh, currently a crowdfunder, so we're funded by a grassroots campaign of thousands of folks who have given their hard-earned money to uh, see this project to fruition. Um, and we're building a decentralized blockchain-based um, short messaging service. Um, so something similar to what you've seen on Twitter, but we're going to make it a lot better. Um, yank out all the advertising, just not have it in the first place. No advertising, no selling of user data. Um, we have um, you know, no timeline manipulation. A lot of these things that you're seeing, for example, in other networks like uh, Facebook and so on being called out on, you know, making the network addictive, all those kinds of things, we don't want to do them. So on that level, it's not so much about privacy and security and those sorts of things, um, but we also are considerate of you know um, the way we think and hope that the internet can move from sort of a topological, from sort of a design and development standpoint to better aid security and privacy and so on. Um, so decentralization is a big, big part of that. Um, we're taking very seriously the idea of um, personal information, sensitive information, staying with the user. We don't want any information even as sensitive as your email address, which I think is pretty, you know, uh, most <laughs> networks take that kind of information, right? Um, right. So that's required us to be very clever about how we handle things like authentication, um, how we handle user accounts and registration and all of that. Um, and we're at the point right now where we have, uh, you know, basically a proof of concept, um, a working demo network that does peer-to-peer -peer conversations that allows users to register, um, sign up for uh, subscriptions, talk to each other, verify other users in a peer-to-peer -peer way, um, and so on and so forth. And um, it's taken a lot of cryptographic concepts and security concepts to get there. Um, but the technology is there, right? And a lot of the other folks are talking about Web3 and all these sorts of things. If they're talking about it seriously, um, they're talking about similar technology. Um, we have the ability to build these systems, to build these networks differently um, on the existing hardware and infrastructure that we have. Um, we just have to have the vision to do it, basically. And also um, the grit, I guess I would say. You've got to slog through some pretty serious challenges, and, and we're doing it. But, but that raises a couple of different questions for me. So the first question is the concept of it itself. I mean, obviously, the idea of privacy is laudable. The idea of um, my data not being monetized is extremely laudable. But then how do you get paid? How, how, how does the company run its servers? 
Sure. So in our case, we're doing a subscription model. So that's very, very simple and, and very understandable to folks. Um, it's also, by the way, the way in which um, the surveillance social networks like Facebook and Twitter are seeming to move. At least Twitter has already gotten there. Um, we know, for example, that Twitter is now selling just the ability to basically undo and edit a tweet um, for uh, I believe it's $3 a month. Um, we know that Facebook barely makes $3 a month on a user, right? And they're doing all this horrific spying, which we know has terrible societal fallout on top of the fact um, that it has personal and very, you know, um, uh, bad fallout on the individual, right? Um, we're asking for a subscription uh, fee upfront um, for certain features. Now, everybody can drop into the network. They're going to be able to read, reply, um, you know, and, and act in the network. But as soon as they want certain functionality, and we have some very cool, unique functionality um, that comes with a subscription, um, then they pay $5 a month. Um, they actually have the option of paying a little more. And if they pay a little more, then that money can can go to, for example, gift accounts. Um, it can go to accounts that other users um, basically have for free because it's funded by someone else. Um, so we found when we talk to folks um, that they're willing to pay much more than $5 if they get the feature set they want, and especially if they think, if they know that that money is going to other users, other customers who can also enjoy the network. Um, we're going to have compassion accounts as well, because usually after, after you talk about subscriptions, people say, well, what do you do about folks who are in really destitute or difficult situations? We understand that. Um, so we are going to also have compassionate accounts, which allows people to basically apply um, and we can give out accounts to them as well. So, so uh, you're, you're like the perfect person to ask this question because you're in the middle of building this network. Um, I, I guess what I'm trying to understand a little bit off is um, I've seen recently an up, sort of the, this new wave of uh, social networks coming in. Um, in general, I've seen the, the the last wave was probably about 2010, 2012, when your Twitter, Facebooks all came in. Then there was Google that failed with uh, Google Plus, um, and I say failed. They say it was extremely successful, and they more <laughs> I'm not getting into the just like Google Wave, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm not Google Wave. Uh, but, but, but my question was, in the end, the way social networks live and die is based on having a critical mass of people. And the question is, are most people either informed enough to realize that their privacy matters? And if they do realize that their privacy matters, are they willing to pay to move to something different? Or are we entering a world where they just go, I don't need this social network in the same way. What, what, what is your, how was the decision made that this is what makes sense now? Uh, and I'll, I'll sort of compare it to what I've seen, um, and this doesn't apply to, uh, to what you guys are doing at Panquake, but I've seen at least three different other networks pop up. And what they were trying to do was build communities around specific um, domains. Mm -hmm. and, and their idea was it's a, social, it's a social network, but it's built around a specific domain so we can get critical mass around that. And they were uh, the ones who actually went live struggled with that. So tell me a little bit more about you guys and how you guys came up with this concept and how you guys think it's going to be successful. 
So there's three things there. Um, the first is a question of critical mass, right? Um, the second is the question of hunger and, and willingness to pay for privacy uh, by users. And uh, the third is really sort of the history of alternative or replacement um, social networks and yeah. where we fit in there. Um, so uh, critical mass, right? That's an issue with every single technology. Um, First off, um, our uh, blockchain model is a, a proof of authority. Um, it's going to be based on something called Byzantine fault tolerance. Um, mm -hmm. And we haven't exactly nailed down the model. That's basically what we're doing this month is doing a lot of blockchain testing. Um, but that consensus model requires um, some nodes in the network, the first ones that get on the network, to be um, more trusted um, as verified real individuals, right? Who um, we're not trusting them with the keys to the kingdom per se, but we need to make sure those folks are at least valid, real people willing to be participants in the network. Um, so what we have for Pancrake.com right now, we have the ability for you to sign up for the beta and be one of the first 5,000 users in our network. Um, and signing up to be that cluster of 5,000, which we've got plenty of applications for and we continue to get applications for, um, you know, those folks will be in the network when we launch. So we're at least starting not from zero and we're we're wise <laughs> enough to do that. Um, and we want to have sustainable, staggered growth. Um, we've seen the history of some of these other networks and how they've worked, especially federated networks like Mastodon and so on, um, and how they can kind of become little kingdoms, little fiefdoms that are isolated. And we don't want that. We want to appeal to a very wide audience. Um, so we build, we grow, we push. We hear all the time, you know, how much people are hungry to get away from the Twitters, the Facebooks, and uh, the Googles, and so on. Um, this leads me to the second thing, and they're kind of related, right? Um, users do not feel empowered. They feel like they have nowhere to go. They feel like they can't not use Facebook, right? Um, they also feel like they they really want privacy. Polls cons consistently show this, right? Um, when they do polls, both inside of companies and you know outside um, for consumers, um, you know they find that people want privacy, but they don't think it's possible to get it. Um, so we're building something where it's possible to get it, right? It's possible to get it based on a simple, understandable flat fee, subscription fee. Um, so you know our business model, our business model is not spying on you. We don't have to, right? Um, so that's all um, you know in place and that's the solution we're, we're going for. Um, and we do believe people want it. Obviously, you know, if you look at the headlines for the past year and before, but really in the past six months, um, the huge amount of press around the Facebook uh, uh, revelations um, around Francis Haugen, um, the, all of the information around these other networks um, and what they're doing for manipulation and so on, the huge stress every time there's an election cycle about what may or may not be going on um, inside of these other networks because timelines are so easily manipulated. Um, you know, all of that to me means there is a huge audience that can be, you know, uh, can come over to another network and um, we will see I guess uh, but if, if people are willing to pay a subscription fee um, you know it's been proven um, one of the reasons the advertising model for the internet is is such a, uh, a, a 
pervasive model that's still around is because we were kind of taught the lie that subscriptions don't work, that people aren't willing to pay for services. And now everybody's paying for tons of media services, right? And people warned the media companies, warned the music companies, warned the, uh, you know, Hollywood and so on, um, that streaming services would come, you know, and that folks would be willing to pay for them. And um, that advice was not really heated until the last minute. And now they're all trying to catch up to Netflix. Um, so um, we're getting in early with this, right, with this model. Um, there are some networks, however, that, like you said, that came before. A um, few things about us that are different. Um, we don't have any venture capital. Um, we're not seeking outside investment from anybody who's, you know, uh, some investor in Silicon Valley or, or elsewhere in, in, in some tech hub. Um, we are very transparent, not only about our moderation, but also about um, what we're doing each month, what we're up to. Um, we're releasing all of the code as free and open source software, so it will be auditable um, and understandable by um, experts, certainly, and we're hoping some amateurs as well um, who will be interested enough to be part of the community, um, you know, maybe help with things like documentation and so on and so forth and give us that critical feedback um, that we really want. Um, so, uh, I'm not sure anyone's gone this bold and this hard at, um, doing a transparent model that way. And that is sort of differentiating us from a lot of the other networks, which unfortunately, as I said, you know, kind of did become fiefdoms, let's say, um, now, I've been in this space for a long time. Um, I actually was running a alternative uh, social network um, called Fujbook, I called it. I named mm. it my cat Fuji. Um, that was back in 2010, 2011, ran that for a few years. I know a lot of the pitfalls in running your own server for this. Um, that was actually a free nonprofit model. And... Um, Nonprofit does not necessarily mean free, right? It, there was a huge cost involved as the network grew, as users came in. Um, and we got thousands of users who weren't paying, and some of them were bots. Some of them, you know, so I started to understand some of the dynamics around all of that. Um, having a subscription model, you know, um, limits the e efficacy of a lot of the um, mischief, let's say, that can be caused in, you know, um, some of these other um, uh, decentralized federated networks. And um, we're hoping that um, that will limit, for example, um, some of the activity. Um, folks who want to run a uh, malicious troll network, at least, you know, they're paying $5 a month to get <laughs> in. And that does put a limit, right? Yeah. Um, but we are going to do some moderation. We are going to make sure that there's no targeted harassment. Um, we're going to do real human moderation. Um, we haven't yet figured out all the nuts and bolts of that. Um, but the cool thing about it is that our moderation will be verifiable, right? It'll be transparent because it's on the blockchain. Um, so you won't have to worry about shadow banning or why did I lose 10,000 followers or whatever goes on in these other networks these days where it's just a huge black box mystery and people don't know what's going on. So. Now, do you do you foresee this network, the social media network, to be more like a LinkedIn that's aimed for business users, or more for Twitter that's just for engaging in short bursts of information, or the like Instagram that's an image? Like, what what is your goal? 
So it's short messaging. Um, we try not to always, you know, talk about Twitter, but obviously Twitter is the biggest short messaging sure. microblogging network ever. Um, our goal is to reach ordinary folks. Um, we want to capture real mass audience, mass appeal, which, you know, brings it back to the critical mass question. Um, we have a lot of cool features for that. So the network's called Panquake because the messages themselves are called quakes. Um, if you stack your quakes, multiple messages, right, um, that becomes a panquake that you can then <laughs> share to people. Um, you share it as a single link. So, you know, people build threads in Twitter. We have panquakes, which are much better than threads. You can include comments and quakes uh, from other folks. Tell me those are called, that's called syrup. So pancake with syrup. We should probably go lean in a little further, but we haven't gone that far yet. We'll see how uh, how uh, you know when we're building the the front end and the UI, how much we lean into the analogy. Um, we do have cupquakes, which is also you know another food <laughs> thing. Um, but one of the big things uh, we really want to do uh, is is mass amplification. Um, so we have a feature called Thunderquakes, and this is the one which I think sets us apart. Um, so I don't you know. I don't think we're like a LinkedIn. I think we're going to be way better than anything Twitter's done. Um, and we don't want to have anything to do with the sort of uh, walled garden kind of Facebook model um, at all. Um, so Thunderquakes are a mass amplification tool. Um, it basically allows you to earn over time by uh, gamification, right? Um, you're replying, you're interacting in the network, you earn a Thunderquake. And you can gift these Thunderquakes to an account. So I could gift it to you, right? Um, so now I've given you a Thunderquake. It builds that nice positive relationship. We're focusing on positive interaction, um, which I think is also a really important design principle um, for the network and really helps limit, um, you know, a lot of the more negative activity. Um, so anyway, we're, we're gifting that, um, to, let's say, to you. And now you can send out a message to all of your followers um, to say, hey, do you want to opt into my Thunderquake? And your Thunderquake can be a message you're sending out, you know, next Tuesday. So you're scheduling it. And then that will be amplified through all the followers and through all of their followers as well, um, optionally, right, if people want to opt into this um, amplification. That makes it easier for people who are managing, you know, uh, brands or, or accounts uh, for activist groups or nonprofits and, and media outlets and so on um, for scheduling and making sure they're getting the message out. They don't have to send hundreds, if not thousands of DMs and emails around to say, hey, really amplify this message we're sending out on Tuesday, right? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so these kinds of things are... Um, you know, our hope. We want to have sort of a level playing field as well. So um, you can't earn more than one Thunderquake. I believe it's uh, in the course of five days at the moment. Um, so, uh, and these have to be gifted to folks. So they're, they're gifted to to accounts um, from, from other accounts. Um, you can't just gamify and earn, you know, 10,000 Thunderquakes by not having positive um, interaction in the network, basically. Um, so we want to make sure that, hey, if you come over to panquake.com and we hope you will apply for the beta and so on, um, that you'll be on a level playing field potentially with these accounts that have huge amount of reach. We're giving you the tools you need for that kind of reach. 
Um, so I guess I didn't really answer your question very, very well, but um, we want to be a much better version of micro messaging than you've ever seen. Uh, we want to reach lots of folks or allow folks to reach lots of folks um, and sort of go back. And I, I know I, I hammered this home in the last uh, interview. Um, I do believe in the promise of the earlier internet before, you know, um, the web 2.0 sort of twisted things in certain ways that I don't find so positive. Um, this too is bringing back social networking to um, actual publishing, actual conversations, actual interactions between users. And we really wanna have something where um, folks feel there's value that they wanna stay in there um, without having to bait and you know constantly shove ads in their face to keep them around, so. Do do you see a role for this for this in life sciences or in healthcare? Um, life sciences and healthcare, sure, certainly. Um, we want to make sure um, that that companies and brands and business folks and professionals across sectors um, will use the network. Um, so we're not going to, even though the name is food based and, you know, we're having this food analogy, it's not like it's going to be, you know, um, I don't know, a Fisher Price version of a social network, right? Um, we we want to make sure that um, in those sectors where people need to reach a lot of people, they can reach a lot of people. And certainly one of the big issues that I've seen, at least um, in, in the health sector, is that um, social accounts tend to not reach um, patients tend to not reach, um, you know, the stakeholders that they're trying to reach. Um, the accounts are pretty dormant or can be pretty dormant. And even when the effort is put in by, let's say, a healthcare provider or a hospital or, or someone or, you know, um, a practitioner anywhere, um, they're not necessarily seeing the dividends on what, what they're doing, right? And this is happening to content creators everywhere, right? Uh, you're putting in way more effort um, than you probably should to reach your audience these days because there's so much limitation being placed. There's so much manipulation going on. Um, there's a lot going on um, in the, uh, these, excuse me, social networks um, that is happening behind your back that you're not aware of. Um, so we, we would hope, yeah, sure, that um, in the healthcare sector, there would be a use for this. Um, obviously, um, you wouldn't use it to directly talk to patients, to directly interact. Even though we're going to have extremely strong privacy and security, um, what you do on the blockchain is public on the blockchain forever. So um, you need to obviously be wary of that. And um, I think that honesty and that transparency as well will be an important feature of the network um, and will allow folks, I hope, to have more conscious, sort of thoughtful conversations as well. So right now there's this big movement in pharma um, around transparency and there are um, the European version of the FDA, the Canadian version of the FDA, are all taking huge steps in that. So seeing tech go through that same philosophy and, and basically lean in towards transparency uh, using using systems like blockchain uh, really speaks to um, the, the fact that the time for transparency has come about. And it's, it's really um, all these different influ uh, influences sort of confluencing together. Um, so so it sounds like a very exciting time. Um, how do people sign up for those um, to be one of those first 5,000? Sure. So you can go to panquake.com slash 5,000. So nice and easy. Um, <laughs> 
And you'll find um, links to the, the beta signup process and so on. Now, um, we are, of course, vetting accounts, and not everybody is going to be able to get in. Um, we want to make sure you're a real user, certainly, um, but we don't want folks to feel terrible if they don't get in. Um, so we will have some sort of, um, uh, I don't want to say prize, but um, we will make sure that folks are able to get into the 1.0 with early access um, if they're not able to get into the beta. Um, so we're doing, you know, beta 1.0, 2.0 um, kind of release here. And uh, again, thinking very strongly about staggering and growing the network in a sustainable way where um, not only do we make sure everything works and works as intended, um, but we make sure that we grow the um, network in a sustainable fashion. So, so what does a um, one of the first 5,000, I mean, obviously their opinion matters more because they'll be validated and verified and all that good stuff. But um, from their perspective, why do they care? Well, certainly um, they're supporting something that's groundbreaking and doesn't exist anywhere. Um, so if they care about supporting um, a network that values privacy, security, transparency, um, non-advertising, you know, all of those things uh, and really freedom of information flows, um, we want to make sure people can have conversations and uh, interact with each other. Um, if they value those things, uh, then they that supports us, obviously, getting in early and, and being one of what those What I meant users. was, do they get additional tools? Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. No, they, they, they do not. Um, they do get all of those uh, pancakes, thunderquakes, cupquakes, lovequakes are, are unique features. Oh, okay. Yeah, those are described on, on the homepage, <laughs> pancake.com, if you want to check it out. Um, but they also are participating in the consensus model, which is very cool. So um, we're not using proof of work. We're not using uh, proof of stake. Um, so um, that's partially an environmental decision, right? We want to make sure we're green, as green as possible. Um, we're hosting everything in Iceland. Um, and we're making sure, you know, um, our host has geothermal energy and all those cool things. Wow. Um, but uh, proof of authority, the consensus model, the idea is you have um, the folks who are interacting on the network. They come to a consensus about the validity of the information flowing through the network. Right. Um, and then if I send a quake, that quake bounces around. Let's say um, there's a group of users who come together and say, hey, this quake is actually from this user user Sean and um, Sean is valid and this quake is valid. We use cryptography for all of that, of course. And then if that's valid, then that information is committed to the blockchain record. The blockchain record broadcasts around the network and so on and so forth. Um, so the folks who are involved in the beta will be part of that process. Um, now, we, we have a model where folks um, who come later, um, who as the network grows and so on, will also be part of um, you know, that consensus model in some way. Um, but the first 5,000 in are extremely crucial um, at sort of building the trust model, the verification model for the network, and really just demonstrating that it, that it works, right? Um, if you look at other um, BFT-based or, or POA-based um, blockchain networks, there's a similar thing going on. Of course, those are based on um, usually money transfers, um, which is a very different thing than information, you know, just committing messages to to what's essentially a, a big spreadsheet. Um, but still, um, you know, it is really important to make sure that the users that we have are real users, trustworthy users, um, and um, yeah, can can really help us get our feet uh, wet, get, get bootstrapped and get up and running. So. Very, very cool. Um, so we can keep going, but the, the truth is that we are, as you know, I aim for about 15, 20 minutes. 
sure. we're already at 34. So we should probably cut it off. But um, as you know, I ask five questions um, for guests. Uh, are you still open to answering them? Absolutely. Wonderful. First question, what would you like to ask the audience? Oh, sure. Um, I guess what I would like to ask is what, what are you looking for out of a um, social network, a social replacement for the networks you're currently in? I think what I'm looking for personally is what, something you mentioned, which is I, I feel like on the current networks, uh, my voice is not adequately heard. And I think it'd be nice to have a network where I, I feel like I have as much of a chance as everyone else. I think that'd be my thing. Level playing oh. field. Yep. Yeah. Um, what's the best way for people, for people to reach you? Sure. So um, you can find me um, on, on Twitter, Sean O'Diggity. Um, you can also, you know, find me affiliated with the Yale projects I'm working on, um, Sean O'Brien at Yale.edu. Um, feel free to also find me on LinkedIn or one of these other networks. Um, my personal website is cyberclear.cc. Cyberclear.cc. Awesome. Um, here's another question. What's something you learned in the last month? Oh God, I am constantly learning. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of something unique and creative. I'm not. I'm not sure. No, I'm, no, I'm, no, you don't have to be that creative. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm going to going to get there. Um, yeah. Um, come back to that question. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll come back to it. I'll have it. What's something that made you happy in the last week? Oh, geez. Uh, well, I am, for better or for worse, happy with the weather we're having. <laughs> we were supposed to have snow, for example, um, and we haven't had it yet. I realize that's climate change um, at work, but at the same time, it's made my life a lot easier. So, I just feel like it just means that winter is like now January to March or April instead of uh, November through February. So I don't know how I feel about that stuff, but it is what it is. Um, what's something most people don't know about you? Oh, um, something people, uh, most people don't know about me. Um, I guess, uh, people don't know that, um, I'm really into music and, um, oh. yeah, I used to go to a ton of music festivals before I got too busy for it. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to get back to one or two after this whole pandemic thing is really over. So, um, that should so be a lot. 2029 or so then? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this was this was amazing. Again, thank you so much, Sean, for being a guest. We do, do hope you'll consider coming back again. This was amazing. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Bye.